0: Thank you, choir. That was lovely. Even though it isn't Easter morning today, it is still the season of Easter. We still get to celebrate by saying, "He is risen." risen indeed. Excellent. Hallelujah. There we go. <laughs> we don't have the bells, though, Mary Lou. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Over the last couple of weeks, we've taken a short detour out of the book of Exodus and focused on the story of Jesus' triumphal entry and Jesus' resurrection in the gospel of Matthew. And when we left the Hebrew people in Exodus, they were observing the Passover for the first time. And in the wake of this final sign from God, Pharaoh chased the children of Israel out of Egypt and the Israelites received silver and gold from the Egyptians. That's where we left them. Today, we're picking up in that story. and We're picking up in the third movement of Exodus. We've gone through two movements so far. We've looked at what it's like to live in captivity with the Israelites early in Exodus. We've looked at the work of freedom, how God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. And starting today, we're going to enter into the wilderness. This is the third movement in Exodus, And although all of Exodus is designed to direct us toward worshiping and serving God alone, this movement is going to highlight in particular how we can respond to God freeing us from slavery. God shows deep, deep patience with these people as God leads them out into the wilderness and as they do everything within their power to run away from God in spite of God's leadership. And God guides them and loves them despite their lack of trust in God. I thought it'd be fitting in the season of Easter to look at what it's like, what do we do with our newfound freedom from sin and death? Because all too often, we act like the Hebrew people coming out of Egypt. Because when God secures freedom on our behalf, this freedom is always twofold. It's freedom from something and freedom for something. For the Israelites, they were freed from Egypt, freed for worshiping and serving God. For us, in the season of Easter, we've been freed from sin and death. What are we freed for? This is what we'll focus on as we embark on the wilderness journey, journeying alongside the Israelites. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 13, verses 17 through 22. You can follow along in your bulletins if you'd like, or you can turn to page 60 of the Old Testament section in your Red Pew Bibles. This is Exodus 13, 17 through 22. Listen now for God's word to you. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them. By way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer, for God thought, if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt, prepared for battle, and Moses took with him the bones of Joseph. Who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites saying, God will surely take notice of you. And then you must carry my bones with you from here. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way. And in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. So that they might travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, left its place in front of the people. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us so that we would hear your word and be transformed by it. May the words I speak this morning be yours, testifying to the good news of your word made flesh. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the Israelites are free. We've done it. It's happened. They've been taken out of captivity. They can be on their way to the promised land. But as I alluded to last week, while it's real challenging to convince Pharaoh to let the people go, it's sometimes just as challenging, if not more challenging to convince the people to let their Pharaoh go. And in the case of the Israelites, freedom From the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. Well, this is just the first chapter of a long story that God is writing with them. It's a big important chapter. Freedom is nothing to sniff at. And it's one that at times can seem like the culmination of the story, but there's still a significant portion of the story left to live. Exodus on a quick perusal has 40 chapters and the Israelites got out of Egypt within 12. There's more of the story yet to come. Maybe you've felt this way before, that you've gotten to a point where all of your work has culminated in one event that feels like it should be the end of the story. Maybe you had a big party for graduating high school. Lots of celebration with family and friends, only to realize that now your life is wide open, and now you're supposed to figure out what you want to do. Or maybe you white knuckled your way through college or grad school. Maybe you even got a PhD, got to the top of your class, climbed that mountain, but now you realize you've only just begun the journey. Maybe you felt this way about raising kids where you have a kid and then the 18 year clock starts. But kids go on for longer than 18 years, and uh, you've only just begun the journey when they escape your house, because now you have to build a new relationship with them not under your roof. And, And how do you care for them when you don't see them on a regular basis? All of a sudden, life is much more complicated than it seemed at first. There's a much larger journey ahead. I think that this story of Israel wandering in the wilderness is much like this. I'm really fond of the wilderness wanderings that Israel goes through, in part because I feel my own story resonates somewhat with this story. Now, my wilderness journey wasn't anywhere near 40 years. I only spent four years to get my useless math degree as a pastor, and I worked my tail off, even though I don't actively use this math degree anymore. When I consider this time in college, it feels a little bit like circling in the wilderness. What was it good for? Even at that point in my life, I felt like the way God was leading me, it wasn't straightforward. It was like God lit a candle over here, and then I'd walk. And then suddenly God would light a candle over here, and I'd walk to the next point before God lit a candle back here for some reason, and then like I, I told God, it would have been easier just to go straight there. But walking with God is not straightforward. I remember thinking a lot about how God doesn't regularly carve a straight path for us, and this was helpful for me when I realized that God was calling me into ministry because that was a path I had refused coming out of high school. I had already done that discernment. I had already done that process. But God needed me to go in a few different places before that was the right move. Now, as I walked this path, as I followed the candles God was lighting, for Israel, it was a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. I I needed to trust God to lead me, even when I wasn't sure where I was going, even when I wasn't certain what the purpose was for why God was leading me this way. I'm not really good at trusting a driver to follow directions if I don't also see the directions. I don't know if any of you suffer from that weakness as well. But I need to know where I'm going. And not having regular signs would have really messed with me. I needed God's presence actively with me. I needed the regular assurances of God's companionship. Like the Israelites, I needed the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, some sort of sign by day, by night. I needed to carry with me the bones of Joseph, evidence of the ways that God had worked in my past to bring me to where I was now. Because the Israelites were not accidentally in Egypt. They went there to avoid famine. They went there because what Joseph's brothers intended for evil, God intended for good. I needed to know where I had come from and where I was going. And I also needed to recognize that the path I was walking, it kept going even after the first stop. I think we can frequently build up the first stop on a journey as if it's the destination. We can think that once we get to this first stop, the journey is gonna be over. Once we own the house, once we get the promotion, Once we enter into the sort of relationship, whether romantic or whether just a deep friendship, the sort of relationship we feel like we need. Once we retire, maybe that's when the destination will be complete. Once we help this person get elected or this law get put into practice. Once we have a certain balance in the bank account, well, then we can rest on our laurels. Maybe the Israelites thought once they got out of Egypt, we can flourish and thrive, fulfilling our promise to Joseph to bring his bones back to the promised land, to to wrap up our pilgrimage, and everything's going to work out easily. But life isn't always like that. Leaving Egypt's a good first step. Home ownership, job success, healthy relationships, all of these are decent and valid stops on the journey we take, but they're not our destination. If you've been hiking or backpacking before, you may be familiar with the term false peak or false summit. Has anybody heard of this term before? I see a couple hands, my hikers, thank you. Um, A false peak or a false summit is what you see when you're ascending and you see the top of the mountain. But then you get a little higher and you realize, oh wait, that's not the top, that was obscuring the actual top of the mountain like a thousand feet higher. That's a false summit. And in the same way, when we build up the first chapter of our story as if it's the culmination of our journey, we can experience a false summit. There are a couple ways you can react to false summits. Sometimes they're really discouraging. You realize, oh, shoot, I've got a ton further left to go, and my legs are not ready to go much further. That's a reasonable reaction. When expectations and reality work at cross-purposes, it can be really disappointing. But when you're hiking with people you love, friends, loved ones, there's another way to react to a false summit with joy and excitement, realizing you get to spend more time with the people that are journeying alongside you. It's like finding out after reading and loving the first Harry Potter book, wait, there are six more of these and they're all longer. It's amazing. It can be good news if you're with people you love that the journey is not over yet. There's more time to spend together. And in fact, with God, while the destination is important, the journey itself might be more important. Because it's the journey that shapes and forms us into the people we're going to be when we arrive at the destination. And as children of God, our goal, our destination, isn't something we can achieve on this side of eternity. Our goal, our destination is to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ, to be perfect as our Lord is perfect. And that's something that we can only achieve after our journey is complete on the other side of heaven. But the zigzagging, confusing, non-straightforward journey we're on in this wilderness we call life, this journey full of false summits, it's our tutor. It's the tutor that God has hired for us in order to teach us to depend on the guidance and wisdom of God. It's the tutor that God has employed to remind us that we can trust God to lead us, even when we're not sure where we're going. Now, when leaving Egypt, the children of Israel certainly had no idea how long their journey was going to be. They did not know they were going to be in the desert for 40 years. And they probably didn't know that as they left Egypt, they were going to turn right and go south instead of turning left and going north. You'd think that when you're going north to the promised land, you'd want to start by, you know, turning north. That wasn't God's plan. Now, there's some significant debate about exactly what path they took. For much of these wilderness wanderings, we have educated guesses as to where they were, but the children of Israel likely didn't fully know where they were as they were wandering. After all, in coming out of Egypt, they didn't activate the GPS on their smartphones, right? They didn't stop by the AAA right outside of Egypt to pick up a road map. What we do know, though, even if we don't know exactly where they stopped, we know that their path took them through the wilderness, It took them through the desert. It did not go by way of the path that went through the land of the Philistines. They went into the wilderness. Now, I think that we like images of the wilderness. I remember when my in laws went to Zion National Park in Utah, and the red, um, just beautiful landscape there is gorgeous. We might also consider the sand-swept images that you can find of the Sahara Desert. Beautiful, especially when they're taken from, like, drone footage or satellite footage. I don't know how they get that. But there's a vastness and beauty to the desert that points to the majesty of its creator. But that changes a little bit when we have to step foot into the desert, I think. When the desert becomes a lived experience, instead of a picture, Far removed from our everyday lives, its beauty transforms into danger. Because the desert, the wilderness, it's not kind to strangers. Water is scarce. The whipping winds chap at exposed skin. Food is difficult to come by. During the day, the searing heat of the sun coats bodies in a sheen of sweat, burning any skin that you risk keeping uncovered. At night, it isn't much better. The landscape darkens. Predators come out to hunt. All the warmth of the day dissipates instantly, plunging the temperatures into uncomfortably cold conditions. Without a guide entering into the desert, It's a slow death sentence. No one in their right mind would turn right after leaving Egypt as opposed to turning left. And yet despite all this, our scripture tells us that's exactly the way God led the children of Israel. Because God knows the ferocity of the desert and is less worried about that ferocity than the fearfulness of this people. God doesn't want to take them via the road that crosses the land of the Philistines, because even though the Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt prepared for battle, they're ready for whatever life would throw at them. God knew that if they faced opposition from an established nation, they might revert back to the habits ingrained in them by 400 years Helps us to see where God is leading us. So, my hope for us, friends, is that we too, like the Israelites, can journey with God. That we too can follow Jesus out of a life governed by sin and death toward the promised land that God has in store for us. My hope is that we can follow Jesus even when he seems to lead us in the wrong direction. That we can trust that God's not going to lead us astray my hope for us is that as we encounter false summits, we can rejoice, that we can continue to travel with the God who has brought us this far and the people who have been on the journey with us, rallying around the one who gives us life. May it be so now and always.